Kia ora and welcome to Better Off Red. Um, my name's Pip Adam and this is episode 50. Um, gosh, 50 seems like a number, doesn't it? It's half of 100 and it's twice as many as 25. Um, there you go. The extent of my maths has been reached. Anyway, um, so because it's episode 50, um, I'm really excited um, that this is the episode which falls on episode 50. Um, um, I'm speaking with Louise Wallace. Um, Louise is an amazing poet, but also she's um, part of the minds. Her and Frances Cook um, edit an amazing online journal called Starling, which is um, that publishes the work of young writers. Um, it's an incredible, incredible thing. Anyway, um, we, I think we have talked to Louise before about Starling, but what's exciting about this episode is that we are talking about Louise's new collection of poetry, which was published last month by Victoria University Press. This is the third book of poetry that Louise has published, um, and it is called Bad Things, one of the best titles of the year, I think, possibly. Um, so when I first talked to Louise about getting together for a chat she suggested that we might like to talk about some of the books that were important to her while she was writing bad things so um she sent a list of four books which I was very excited to discuss and that's what we do in this um episode is that um I talk to Louise about bad things but also about these four books we talk about Claudine Rankin's Citizen an American Lyric we talk about Rachel Zucker's The Pedestrians we talk about Kai Miller's The Cartographer Tries to Map a Way to Zion. And then we also talk about Zara Butcher McGonagall's um, autobiography of Marguerite. So um, as you can tell, even just by the diversity of those four books, it's a very wide-reaching conversation that I have with Louise. Um, we, um, yeah, we talk about a lot of things, and it, it feels a little bit, for me... Um, as a non-poet but a lover of reading poetry as sort of a masterclass, um, yeah, we touched on some really interesting ideas about poetry. I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, as well as those four books and Louise's book, Bad Things, we touch on a couple of things. Um, we talk about commonplace conversations with poets, which is um, Rachel Zucker's um, podcast. And we also, um, I um, mentioned as a bit of a fangirl that I think that Zara Butcher McGonagall has kind of won the internet with her Instagram account. It is superb. So if you want links um, to any of this information, there are links on our webpage, which is betterreadnz.wordpress.com. So that's better, R-E-A-D-N-Z.wordpress.com. So um, we have um, some links there um, to places you can buy the books and also um, some links to some of the other things that we talk about. And you can also listen to the podcast on that website um, if you feel so inclined. So yes, um, I just want to thank Louise heaps um, because this is, yeah, it's a great podcast and I really hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah. First question. How are you? Good. That's good. Um, yeah, so I'm here with Louise Wallace. Um, we are here on the occasion, I guess, of um, Bad Things, your new book of poetry. But, I mean, it's always nice to talk to you. Thank you. It's <laughs> lovely to talk to you as well. Oh, nice. Um, so, um, what we thought we'd do today, which is slightly different, is that... Um, so this incredible book of poetry, I really like it. I really like Thank it. You. Um, and I think that it is a really interesting book in the range that it's got going on. And I enjoy the play of it and the fun of it and the deepness of it. And yeah, I just think it's a fantastic book. And so what we thought we'd do is maybe have a bit of a chat about some of the books that you were reading and thinking about while you were writing this um, this magnificent book. Can we talk just for a start? Yes. I, I always do this. <laughs> I'm like, right, we've set the parameters. Now I'm going to change <laughs> now the parameters. The chairs, yeah. um, was this, um, can you talk a little bit about the process of collecting these poems and this and these two covers? Like, um, were you working towards what you, were you working towards a poetry collection that you knew was going to be called Bad Things? And, you know, how, how did it work? How did yeah, it come about? That's interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about this this morning and, um, no, I didn't know it was going to be called Bad Things, and I didn't have this grand plan. I'm always 
I always really am in awe of those people who seem to have like a real concept and like mm. I imagine that they had that concept at the beginning and then they wrote it and I am just not that person. Uh, I definitely like kind of um, explore and see what happens and, and what comes up through that. So I think for that reason I'm not, yeah, I guess like sometimes I feel like my books aren't, they're definitely not like this one thing mm. and so that can be difficult but it's just, that's just the way I work I've mm. found. Um, and it, it does mean that it's quite hard to talk about it sometimes because like so many things have fed into it. It wasn't just like, I'm starting with this and, and this is the thing that I'm going to explore. So I had to do, while I was writing it, I was on the Robert Burns Fellowship in Dunedin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to do partway through the year, I had to do this like panel discussion where all the fellows came together and talked about what they were working <laughs> on. And I was just like... Um, like I just find it really hard to sum it all up in like a really succinct kind of paragraph, which is why talking to you is so great because you can really go in depth about all the things that were coming into it. Mm. Um, but in terms of like the structure and the order, yeah, we. I mean, I can talk more about because it's kind of like a long process of um, how that happened. But definitely the order, I think, for poetry is so important. Like, I am really obsessed with it, not because I'm good at it, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I just think it is a really important thing. And it's it's fun, but it's really challenging for me. Um, and it was interesting because, yeah, while I was writing it, I was around, I was in the university, I had an office there, and I was around, you know, hugely academic people. Um, and I was talking to one of them and I said, oh God, I'm trying to work out the order of this thing and it's driving me crazy. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, you know, the order of the poems. And she was like, oh my God, I never realized that you like <laughs> thought about that. I thought it was just like a random order. And I was like, okay, well that's refreshing because I guess sometimes it doesn't matter to people. Um, so I think it's challenging because I do think about it in terms of like start to finish, mm-hmm. like how it reads that way. Because to me, that's like, you know, a, a full album of music mm. or something. There's yeah. a story to that and it, there's an intention. But also with the understanding like music, like with an album, that not everybody is going to listen to it that way. So people are going to jump in and out. They might just read three poems at random kind of thing. So you have to make sure, although there's like a, a narrative uh, or a, a movement start to finish, every poem has to work by itself as well. So that's why it's challenging, I think. Um, and it's also challenging in the sense that um, I think you kind of walk this fine line between, well, I do, between um, like thinking like you've got this great idea um, and being like, oh my God, this is so great. Um, and that being like too much of a gimmick and so you want it to be quite authentic and natural but at the same time you want it to be uh, kind of engage a reader just in the structure alone Mm -hmm. and for that to be kind of interesting um, or innovative in that way so to me that's a a difficult line as well it's like you're trying to work it out as you go it's like you have this good idea and then it turns out oh my god that's like that's really cheesy or mm-hmm. like that's trying too hard mm. so sometimes you have to pull those back or they'll just find a natural way as you go but yeah it's definitely like everything in putting a book together for me is a real process rather mm. than like mm. I know what I'm doing right from the start but I think that's that's important because I can't get to that end point without having done that process first yeah yeah um so yeah I just I accept and acknowledge that it's going to change along the way and even though I think I've had a really good idea it's probably not going to be how it looks in the end and but that's just part of that journey yeah because yeah. I think that's one of the real strengths of the book like I just it really does feel like it has this rhythm to it and it's not an obvious rhythm do you right. know what I mean like yeah. it hasn't it, it feels like you 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 know, like my experience of it, I had this great experience where I got to read it all at once, which I really enjoyed and highly recommend that as a way to read it. But sort of this idea of sort of bouncing from one to the next, you know, like there was definitely a rhythm to it and either looking back and seeing it or experiencing it in the reading, you know, I think was so great. And I think because there is such a range of form in the book as well, it's just, it's a really beautiful, it, it did feel like an album, but it also felt like kind of wandering around an art gallery as well you know like it's sort of 
you know, like being guided by a person, you know, like I really did feel that openness that I could go back and have a look at something if I wanted to and that things did sit by themselves. But also it was sort of like this guided tour through the work. I just, yeah, I think it worked so well. That's cool. Thank you. Now some of the books that you've chosen, um, you know, well, not chosen, some of the books that you were reading are possibly less like that, aren't they? You know, like I I was just wondering, like you've, um, one of the books you um, talked about was, um, Claudia Rankin Citizen. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, it's more a com- it's more a complete work, hey? Like, yeah, you talk to me about it because I will um, <laughs> I, I will misrepresent well, it. I've just and I mean that's it's quite scary to talk about these books yeah. because they're really powerful and yeah. really amazing. And I'm like, here I am, this like idiot trying to like say <laughs> you know how great they are. I always um, like that. <laughs> but I th- and I read. I mean, I obviously read so much more than this um, yeah. during the time. But these are kind of the ones that that ended up really standing out to me and having a real effect on mm. the work. Mm. Um, Should we run through them? Yeah, Rather sure. Than, so, yeah, that would be a fairer thing if, I, if you run through the ones that you've so chosen. So I've got Claudia Rankin's Citizen and American Lyric, uh, which is published by Grey Wolf Press. Um, I've got The Pedestrians by Rachel Zucker, by, uh, published by Wave Books. And I've got um, Kai Miller, The Cartographer Tries to Map a Way to Zion by Karkinet. And the last one, a New Zealand book, is Autobiography of Marguerite by Zara Butcher McGonagall, which is published by Hugh and Cry. Mm-hmm. So those are the four I picked out. And yeah, it's quite greedy as well to pick four. Um, <laughs> so we won't be able to talk that in depth about them. But So basically I started this book. Um, I'm really interested in, because it features in my work a lot, I'm interested in, in dialogue and mm. the use of conversation and poetry. Um, so... That's kind of where I started from. I most of my poems are about people. I and it was really interesting when my partner and I went for a trip to America and we kind of picked out the places we wanted to go. He's a scientist and his were all like the national parks and stuff and mine were all like New Orleans, New York, like it was so obvious to me. I I I wish I was more of like a scientific person interested in like the natural world and stuff, but I'm just obsessed with people yeah. and I love conversation and things like that so it's often in my work and I just wanted to explore that more um so when I applied for when I applied for the Robert Burns Fellowship by that stage I was really stuck in my writing Mm -hmm. um I'd spent about two years my partner uh wanted to change career so he'd gone back to study so I had to be the breadwinner Mm -hmm. so I worked as a legal secretary for two years (laughs) which was such a great time um and yeah, I just I got completely stuck. I had mm. no momentum whatsoever. So I knew I needed to like break out of that, which is why I um, tried applying for a residency. And so that was my proposal at the time to really explore this idea of the use of dialogue and conversation mm. poetry. So I hadn't read a lot for quite a while as well. So I basically started just by like looking at um, you know really great books of the previous couple of years, mm-hmm. you know whatever the Guardian was recommending and stuff like that, and just ordered a whole lot of books. Mm-hmm. and started reading and so um these were the ones that kind of spoke to me a lot so yeah back to uh Claudia Rankin's book um it did, I mean I I yeah I, I hadn't ordered it for a particular reason other than it was like winning a lot of prizes at the mm-hmm. time and and a lot of people were talking about it so I was interested to see what it was about um and so obviously it's about um you know the African-American experience in the U.S. uh the kind of uh, I think she calls them, or people have called them, microaggressions. Mm-hmm. So those kind of um, unconscious attitudes that people have uh, about race and things like that and how that actually affects people. I was just, like, completely floored by this book. It was just, like, the content um, was just, like, yeah, really amazing. So I guess it struck me in more of, like, a thematic way. Um, but having said that, a lot of these books were very structurally interesting to me Mm. um with this one I was really interested in how she's got so many different forms in the one book um so she's got like essays um art like responses to art and poems I thought that was really interesting and I guess I I read not to like I wouldn't recommend people reading to teach themselves how to write but I would recommend it um as a way of like 
showing you what might be possible yeah yeah and so by reading all these books i i was just constantly like oh my god i would never think to do that i've never thought to do that and i think for me that's really good of like pushing my my own mind you know like of what what i can do and not like to be like oh she's done this so i'm gonna do that yeah, yeah. but like what is possible for my writing and like kind of just training myself to keep pushing mm-hmm. um yeah so so that was uh citizen um i did have one that i could read out yeah that'd be great yeah so this one really i really spoke to me like it just kind of blows you away so this is like an excerpt from it so at the end of a brief phone conversation you tell the manager you are speaking with that you will come by his office to sign the form when you arrive and announce yourself he blurts out i didn't know you were black I didn't mean to say that, he then says. Aloud, you say. What? he asks. You didn't mean to say that aloud. Your transaction goes swiftly after that. So, I mean, obviously, like, whoa, like, when you read, you know, that through the book. Um, and it's interesting because she's doing a thing that we most often tell students not to do, which is to be, like, just super direct about mm. the thing. We're always trying to say, you know, show, don't tell, and stuff like that. Um I mean, I guess she's collecting an experience and, and showing that experience as a way of being like, this is not okay. So, But it just felt so direct to me um, in a way that we're usually warned against. Mm, um, mm. And so for me, this book was about, it was interesting structurally, but it was also really powerful uh, for my writing that it focused on these um, kind of unconscious attitudes and institutional racism. And it made me really think, I mean, I, can't, I think you can't help but think after that poem, like, whoa, like, what am I thinking? And what am I doing that might be affecting other people, even if I'm not aware of it? And so I tried to bring that back to, like, both myself and, like, a New Zealand experience of what these, like, microaggressions might look like in New Zealand. Um, so one poem from bad things that is kind of related to that is called the neighborhood oh yeah um so that one goes they say they don't like mexican food because it has a dirty flavor and earthy taste we put this down to the corn but perhaps we just don't like the alternatives we don't like thinking about them how wide and far back the ideas have nestled and how the swooping of their huge wings has been so very close to silent so yeah just trying to bring it back home Mm. um you know like and 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 the idea that things can be innocent um like i prefer japanese food over french say Mm. um and that's fairly innocent that just i like that flavor profile um but just trying to think about you know a word like dirty like a dirty flavor what connotations does that have and what else might it be saying and mm. stuff like that. So mm. I found, yeah, so Claudia Rankin's book was, like, very affecting in terms of, like, I guess my content, like, mm. uh, forcing me to think about, you know, that in, in our own context. And, yeah, and also just, like, um, the forms and, and things like that mm. I found really interesting. And that's so interesting, like, um, that excerpt that you read you know like for someone who's interested in dialogue you know like the interest of the said and the unsaid and you know like um you know always think about those wonderful Ang Lee like those very early Ang Lee movies where people are saying exactly the opposite of what they mean you know and I just think I, I mean I can totally see the appeal of the you know, that magnificent, you know, aloud, you didn't mean to say it aloud, you know, yeah. like, it's just so great. And I think this idea of directness is such a refreshing feeling for me as well. I know that I think that when I think about Rankin's work is just, yeah, you know, for, for so long we've been saying, oh, political poetry can't be too preachy, mm. it can't be this, it can't be that. And I just think there's something really refreshing in that. It's yeah, really and I really liked the idea that in her work she wants to change she wants someone to read that and for something to change yeah and i was like that's a really awesome intention when you set out to write poetry because i think a lot of the time people are like yeah like you shouldn't be like telling people yeah. things and <laughs> and i mean yeah the, but the way that i mean there is a difference between you know just straight like you know 
this is what I think. Mm. She is still showing it, but it is at the same time she's wanting like an actual outcome from that. Yeah. And like that's really interesting as it, well. It's kind yeah. of exciting. Yeah, yeah very I, exciting. I find it really exciting. Yeah. I know nothing about Rachel Zucker's book. Ah, I am an cool. idiot. I am an You're idiot. You're not an idiot, I, but I, you should read it. I, I'm very excited because I read, uh, when you said you were doing it, I read a little bit around it in that way that you do it. I was just like, I need this book. So funnily <laughs> enough, she has started a podcast called <gasps> Commonplace. Oh my goodness. And it's similar to yours. You definitely have to listen to I it. Definitely she has. <laughs> she sits down with poets and has conversations awesome. with them. And she's she's talked to Claudia Rankin. <gasps> oh my goodness. And just some amazing poets in America. Um, and yeah, I definitely recommend. Oh my goodness. Cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be. I've got a new obsession. This is fantastic. Cool. So <laughs> she's yeah. So she's like you, just like this huge advocate for writers and just a really amazing person um and her this book i just loved um and and this this book was interesting probably um again she's like a real kind of conversational poet Mm. and and she uses dialogue she uses conversations with her family members and stuff like that which i am obviously like very much appeals to me (laughs) um but and so she's i guess you know like she's coming from that um female tradition of like you know, domestic poems mm-hmm. and stuff like that and trying to say, like, well, this is my life, this is valid. Um, but the most the thing that is most interesting about this book is it's kind of two books in one. Um, so the first part is these quite long um, prose, like, narrative poems. And it actually, this, this is where I'm an idiot. Like, people will be like, oh, my God, how are you so dumb? Um, but I read that the first time and was like, wow, that's so cool. This series of prose poems, there's about five of them, I think. But they're actually the same characters throughout. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it took me the second reading to get that. Oh, no. Um, I, yeah. So, and that, yeah, I just thought that was, that's always really impressive to me as a poet. Like, you'll be like, well, duh, this is what we do. But, like, the fact that you can sustain a narrative or these characters through, like, a long sequence of poems is very impressive to me because poets tend to work in these, like, individual units of things and things are allowed to change between poems yeah so to contain like to maintain that is is really awesome so that's the first half and then the second half is like just you know like these completely totally different tone and like individual poems um and i was just like how would anybody ever think that that was something you're allowed to do? Yeah. Like, that you're allowed to have almost, like, two books in one. And so I'm always, you know, just, like, amazed by, like, you know, that's that stupid sense of, like, I'm allowed to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, you know, there's the idea of what a book is, and these people are, like, just don't care for that and they're like i'm just gonna do this other thing and yeah that's always really impressive and i love the way um i love the way it's kind of like um i don't know i might be speaking out of turn but just that idea where um often i hear people really convincing about you know is it poetry is it prose is it this is it that and i think that when a writer can free themselves of you know like that and go oh oh, look, these seem to be turning into a series of poems. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I am always super impressed. Um, you know, there's one of my favourite short story collections is like that, like where it's one, it's a set of characters over the whole book. And like, um, I just think that there is something about keeping that together in a fragmented, do you know what I mean? Like, I think I think it's a lot harder than a novel and I think it's a lot it's different. It's, it's a different me- mechanism to do it, which I think is really great. Yeah. So what sort of, so again, it was probably motivating as far as form goes and, you know, permission goes and I don't know, like, um, what, what else, what else sort of were you thinking about when sort of like transposing over into your, is that a word? Uh, transposing. I think yeah, I just invented the word. Um, I, th- I think when I was looking at these books again today, maybe one thing I hadn't realized and it like I hadn't consciously picked these books out at the time for this reason but it's obvious just like this is my one of my unconscious interests at this time or maybe forever um is like the female experience Mm, of um particular things or life in general um so these books are very uh, you know not so much um Kaya Miller's but Zara's and Claudia's and Rachel's books are very focused on that female Mm. perspective um 
and that definitely is part of my book um yeah you know like i would yeah i think i originally when i started bad thing well part of the way along early on i kind of had this idea of like i mean this theme of like survival was coming mm, out a lot yeah, in it yeah. um but kind of different types of survival but they all seem to be from this like female perspective of like personal survival so like how you manage yourself and your relationships um also like traveling which is really weird i hadn't really thought about this but traveling is a very different experience for men and women sometimes i think um you know in terms of like the advice you're given like or you should cover up in these areas because you don't want to attract attention or don't walk by yourself in this part of town at night. Um, but also, like, when you're over there, like, the types of things that people might say to you are also very different. Um, so I find that quite interesting, and that has come through in the book as well. And then the idea of, like, uh, work, being a woman mm. and, and be, having a career and, and that kind of experience. So, yeah, a few of these books are very strong on that uh that female perspective mm. and that's something I hadn't consciously chosen them for but they kind of obviously spoke to me about that and it's definitely like come through in, in bad things as well yeah I totally agree I think that's one of the real enjoyments of reading it for me you know like is is that yeah like I'm just there's a couple of poems that are coming to my head there's a magnificent one which I think you read at the quartet which is, oh, it's about compasses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are lots of ladies who have survived the desert. Which I just think is such a great title, and it's such a beautiful poem. And, like, I think, yeah, and I mean, I felt like when I got to that poem in the book, it kind of threw different light on some of the other poems, right. which I think is really clever. I think that's something awesome about the order of that book as well, is that, um, often you'll get often I got to a poem and it would kind of throw back to something else or change the tone of not the tone that's too heavy but you know change change that right. slightly in my memory which I thought was really great um so Kai Miller is I just realized yes he is the only bloke. a man yeah, yeah. a man <laughs> shock horror yeah yeah <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about his book yeah um I mean it's an amazing book again structurally was very interesting um poets are nutcases like they obsess <laughs> over <My> favorites <laughs> <laughs> like I am obsessed with like his contents page like yeah. how he I was very interested that he had he had this series of poems um which is the cartographer tries to map away to Zion, um, but he's like scattered them throughout the book. So I was like, how do you how do you signal to a reader straight away that that poem is part of that series when yeah. you put all these other poems in between? So just stuff like that of like, and again, that's like you know, teaching yourself like, well, how do you do that? So I'm reading this guy to to see like how is that possible. That, you know, you can, that a reader could read a poem, like, after having three unrelated poems and, and still fall back into, they know how to read that, they know the tone. Like, that's, that's interesting. Um, but, again, going back to the, the dialogue and conversational aspect, he, this is, like, he uses a lot of dialect, like, mm. Jamaican dialect mm. and, and the accent and phonetic spellings and stuff in this. So this was very interesting to me, um and lots of them are really funny which again I really like funny poems as well um so yeah it just it spoke to me like it was uh and most like all of these books are doing this they're doing a lot like, yeah yeah they're not just resting on these laure their laurels these books they're like pushing themselves they're in that bloody like squat yoga position yep. for like 10 hours <laughs> or something like you know so yeah I I think definitely these writers were like really pushing their craft and and I was interested to see you know that they could push so far and that band wouldn't snap mm, like mm. yeah so because I think that's one of the real joys of bad things as well just going back to that thing of humor like um you know like I you know I often find myself approaching poetry with my poetry face going mm, mm, you know deep <laughs> yeah deep and like I just I love that's one of the things I've always loved about your writing is that I, I, you know, humor, you, you, um, there's a word for it. You just, you just seem to use, use, that's posh word, um, but <laughs> you seem to use humor in such a, 
like it's 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 like you say it feels part of an arsenal it doesn't feel like you know it's there for shits and giggles you know like it really feels like it's part of the arsenal and it's being used very um thoughtfully and mindfully I don't know yeah yeah I mean I think whenever I'm teaching I do get a lot of questions from students about like it's hard to tell when a poem is like if it's just funny to me that's not enough I mean to some people that might be enough but I think it it has it has to be a tool for something for me um and yeah finding that line of like um using it to achieve something else or um in in my case it's usually trying to make a comment about a situation or a Mm. person but using that as the method that I do it in so Mm. it's it's usually like ha 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 but undercut you know like um so yeah but I enjoy it like it's fun to write funny poems and it is fun for a reader or at a reading to experience that certainly like at readings I don't know how like serious (laughs) poets get on because I'm like people want to laugh and they want to be entertained like so what do you do if you don't really write funny poems I don't know but because I often feel that uh, you know like I often feel like humans are released as well you know what I mean like sometimes you are sitting there and it's like you know, I'm, you know, in my everyday life, people don't read to me, you know, and here I am in a situation where people are reading to yeah. me and um, I'm standing here with a glass of wine or whatever, you know, like, and like you know, they're going to speak what, you know, and then it's such a relief sometimes to, you know, laugh. And I think, I don't know, like it, it's really, I'm always interested in what humour can do. I'm a bit obsessed with it and frightened as well, because I once went to a linguistics class, which was about the pun and I've never found puns funny again, you know, like, it just ruined me for puns. Right. Um, but I just, um, you know, like, I can look at a pun and think that's clever. Um, and so I've always been really careful about how much I read, but I do, I, I talked to Rachel um, O'Neill about it once, and she she talked about how humour is often culturally, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a shared... Right, yeah, sure. Like, I don't know, and I think this idea of undercutting, it's really, it's speaking in a dialogue again that is... You know, like, it's really interesting to see what can be done with it. Yeah, I mean, I think using it as an undercut, it, it works because you bring people in because you're like, haha, we get this joke, and then it's like, slam, sorry, yeah. like, yeah. I also have this other thing to tell you about. Yes. Um, now that you are yeah. laughing and you are <laughs> yeah. open. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's interesting because, yeah, like, I mean, I guess that that's how it functions in the book as well. Is And also, like, I have to say, I've never felt I and like it's obvious I'm not a I'm not an academic poet in the way that other writers are who are like more on that intellectual level I'm thinking of like amazing people who I know and love Mm. like Lynn Jenner and Mm. Chris Price Mm. who are just operating on like another level that I will never reach and and shouldn't even try to reach um like I've always but that's I guess like people come to poetry and want to use poetry for different reasons Mm. I want loads of people to read poetry and I mean it's obvious in like things that I do like styling and stuff mm. like that. Mm. I I want it to be and like literally the greatest compliment I have received and can ever receive after a reading is like you know in some cases I've had like 50 year old like Kiwi blokes come up to me and be like I've never understood poetry before I've heard yours and I'm like that's the best compliment I can ever receive whereas I have a friend who's a poet who's like that would be the worst compliment yeah. I could receive because yeah. that's not what they're trying to achieve at all yeah um so for me humor is very valuable in yeah. trying to achieve that goal because yeah. people like to laugh and it, like you say it's a shared language it's a, a shared kind of uh, understanding of the world and mm. stuff like that so mm. I definitely like at readings, um, especially when it's a reading that's not um, not filled with people who are already in the world of poetry. Mm. I use that as a way to kind of appeal to others and say, hey, poetry might not be what you think it is. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's one of the things um, I find really interesting is that um, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Like I was thinking about the piece, you, you picked out a piece from Zara's book um, and I was just thinking sometimes to be plain, I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with, um, I don't have the word for it, but I want to call it plain language. I want to call it language that um, is, you know, I like that word direct that you use. Like it, you know, it, it seems to be just saying something very yeah. clearly. Yet it just, 
you know, carries so much weight. And I don't know, I don't know if you, um, <coughs> I don't know if now would be a good time to maybe read that poem yeah. from Zara. So Zara's book is called um, Autobiography of Marguerite. Um, and that came out, I'm just trying to remember, I remember going to the launch of it, but I can't remember, see. like 2013, it's not important, I just get a 2014. 14, yeah. yeah, and it was produced by Hugh and Cry Press, yes. it's a beautiful book, it's a wonderful book. So yeah, do you want to read the page that we yeah. were talking about? Yeah, okay. It's not dinner time yet, but there's nothing else to do. What do you want for dinner, my mother asks. I'm sitting at the table, closed, refrigerated. We'll have chicken, she says. The chicken has been defrosting for hours in the sink. She takes out baby carrots and baby leeks. I always wanted more babies, at least one more, but I couldn't because of your father. He never gave me any support with you and your sister. I had to do everything. He worked such long hours. He always went away for the weekend. He always did exactly what he wanted to do. Oh, what's changed? I don't say anything. She cuts the chicken into smaller pieces. She says, you're the only one I can talk to, the only one who will actually listen to me. Not chicken again, I think. I feel as though we had chicken yesterday, and the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that. Which is so cool. Um, <coughs> it's such a brilliant piece. It just, that book, just, I've been thinking so much about that book lately. Like, when I got your email, I was just like, oh my god. Yeah, this, I mean, god, what yeah. a fucking high wire act that poem is. Yeah, I mean, so the amazing thing to me, again, thinking about dialogue, is that the daughter character doesn't say anything. Yeah, So yeah. it's literally this mother, like, talking away to herself feeling that she is in a conversation by saying things like, you're the only one I can talk to. Um, and so I'm really interested, and that is a big part of this book, I guess, more like, for me, more in terms of uh, different languages, but I'm really interested in that gap in understanding um, in conversation. So, mm, mm. you know, this mother is, like, pouring her heart out, and the daughter's like, oh, God, we're not having chicken again, are we? So just this complete disconnect um, in conversation. And there's that freaky thing that it does, like, because I know no one can see this except me and you, but, um, and people who have the book at home, um, what page is it on? 28, I think. Uh, 24. 24. 24. Um, but what's really clever about it is there's no punctuation indication of speech starting Correct. and ending. The eye shifts from the narrator to the mother without very much warning. Like the first couple of times I read it through, I'm always like, "Oh, is it the daughter that's always wanted a baby?" You know, like I mean, it's just so clever. Yeah. And it just squashes it. It just in this very kind of I don't know what the word is like brazen way. It just puts it in a prose block. You know, like totally arbitrary where the line breaks come. I don't know. Like it's just so clever. And then just that repetition of chicken and then yesterday and the day before and the day before that and the day before that oh god it's just so great isn't it yeah and uh, that i agree with like there's no punctuation marks so that alone is difficult that you have as a writer you have to make sure the reader knows who is speaking mm. but you mm. don't have those like you know road signs to like tell them so that's very clever construction and I'm interested in people who are, you know, like challenging what we know as the rules of writing. And, yeah. You know, most people would be like, oh, where's the punctuation marks? If you were marking this, you'd be yeah. like, uh, hello, you haven't used any like <laughs> punctuation. But um, yeah, so, so that's very kind of, um, that's very engaging. It makes you want to read the poem again because you, like you say, if you read through, you might be a bit confused about who's speaking at parts. So you read again to figure that out, and that's and, always good to and just that get them to read it again. Like, there's no title to help. There's no. I'm just ah, I don't know. She just blows my mind. I mean, the fact, yeah, like I, I wish I didn't know how young she was as well because oh. that's <laughs> like terrifying and disturbing. So. um that she has that kind of control at, you know, early 20s is very disturbing. The other thing about Zara um, is that I think she has my favourite Instagram account. Okay. Oh, so I'm not on Instagram. Oh, so oh I, my God. Yeah, I'll have to check Her Instagram account is 
fucking amazing. It is so, it is my favourite Instagram oh, account. Okay. In the same way that this poem, what this poem does to poetry, Zara does to Instagram. Wow, like, okay. Yeah, it's it's That's really, a recommendation. I, even, I think you can look it up even if you're not on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, I, think you can, I think so. I don't know, it's just so brilliant. So, like, we were talking about a couple of, I sort of picked out a couple of poems, not, not I couldn't pick out favourites, but I just picked out some. And I'm wondering about this kind of disconnect mm-hmm. Is Miniature Village something to talk about with yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And I might be totally on the wrong track, but did you just visit Japan? Yes. Okay, cool. Oh my, so, yes, yeah. well, of course, yes. <laughs> so this my, was, yes, this good. was so that I could go, oh, <laughs> I love Tokyo so um, much. Right, so <laughs> I lived in Okinawa when I was, like, 22 for two years, um, which now is, like, what like that seems like (laughs) such a like that didn't really happen to me like that happened to somebody else and like also at the time like I had no idea what I was doing like it's such a weird thing to have done but anyway so this poem shall I just read the poem first yeah and then should we have a chat about it yeah sure okay so miniature village the old woman she stares at me I am a foreign object stuck in her eye. I am the literal definition of grit. I buy onigiri. She stares at me. She stares at me as I stand in the small cubicle outside, crying long distance on the phone to my mother. The old woman lives in the marsh below my building. She pokes her head through the reeds as I pass by on my daily constitutional, intended to keep me sane, but so far failing. I walk up the hills listening to passionate, powerful music by killers, sweating in the heat and at the same time crying, my heart in the end howling far from the town. The old woman follows. I stop and turn. She points to a hill in the distance filled with tiny grey houses, perfect row upon row of traditional concrete huts. What a lovely miniature village, I say, and suddenly I'm smiling at the old woman, my new and only friend. She stares at me, still pointing at the village, and says the Japanese word for tomb, specifically turtlebacks, meant to resemble a woman's womb. And when people say, quiet as the grave, this is the silence they mean. Oh, I love that poem so much. <laughs> I just absolutely love it. So, like, that, what, I don't even know whether this is, like, the question to ask, but what does it mean to, like, to go back to a time that's sort of been percolating? Yeah. And then write about it? Like, does it visit you, or? It does visit me, because what was really interesting so I lived in Japan before I wrote my first two books. So technically, yeah. like, why didn't it come up more in those books? Um, I think there was maybe one poem in my first book kind of about it, but that's really all. And I I honestly think, it, like I say, it just feels like such an out-of-body experience. Mm. Like, I feel like almost like I'm still processing that. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is, yeah, definitely the first time that I felt kind of able to put a few things in words and to um, to kind of process that a bit more. There's a couple of others in here about it mm. as well. Um, yeah, I, I and, and it was really, I mean, it was really great, but it was really hard as well. And so often those like really hard things are some of the most challenging to write about. So, mm. and to write well about, I think. Like, there's always things that I want to write about that I have tried to write about in my other books as well. And sometimes you just have to pull them because it, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you're too close to it. Mm. So maybe it's also that I've had that time and that distance from it that I can kind of come back to it and look at it again. Mm. But I think this is what I think is so interesting about this is that, like, um, a, a good poem... And perhaps one that I wouldn't feel quite as compelling would have probably ended with, you know, in the end, howling far from home. Like, I mean, you can imagine a poem that said that, you know, right. and, and would be quite compelling. But just this, these last two stanzas, you know, the way the miniature village turns to tombs. And I don't know, like, I just think it's just so, 
because then it's saying something very interesting about the stuff you were talking about, like this disconnect in communication. Yeah. And that, I don't know, like that seems to bring me even more into it. I don't know. It's really great. Yeah. Um, and, and Okinawa is a very different experience to mainland Japan yeah, as well. Yeah. I was very disturbed. So I went on as part of like a teaching program and okay. they like, it's like a lucky dip as to where you'll go. So I was like, cool, I'm going to go to Tokyo. Yeah. And then they were like, you're going to Okinawa. And I was like, all I can imagine was like, I don't know, like Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai, like in yeah. the middle of like a paddock with like oxen or something ridiculous, <laughs> like just this country place. Um, and so it was very different from, you know, the experience I would have had in mm. Tokyo. Mm. But um, lots of, you know, like really interesting things specific to Okinawa um so for a start um there are U.S. military bases there which is very uh still much you know a very much a contentious issue there um but so sometimes Okinawans will see uh white men walking around but not often white women um so I was very much a minority there and so that's really been my only experience as you know a real minority Mm. um so that was good for me Mm. um and and kind of challenging um and and yeah these disconnects in in language um as well uh yeah just and cultural understandings and yeah, particularly, I guess, just, yeah, the language thing is interesting. I studied Japanese all through high school and university, so that's why I wanted to go and live there. Um, but when I got there, I was like, I knew textbook Japanese, and yeah. nobody speaks textbook Japanese. Um, <laughs> you know, they've got, just like us, they've got slang, yeah. they change around their construction of sentences and things like that. I literally couldn't understand anybody, despite having studied it for so long um but you know after a while there was this great moment that I always remember where I was teaching and I would often teach in Japanese because uh the the students English wasn't quite up to the point where they could learn in English Mm -hmm. and so well I when I say I would teach in Japanese like really poor Japanese we would kind of do this mishmash of like some of my Japanese with some of their English um but there was a point where someone a student asked me a question in Japanese and I said the answer before I thought about it in Japanese. And I was like, that was an amazing experience. Because up until then, I'd always have to think in English, what will I say, translate it to Japanese in my mind, and then speak. Yeah. And just to have that kind of automatic response was very, very cool. Because <laughs> I was like, thank God we're here. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just very interested in the mechanics of language. Mm. And I guess having learned another language and lived in that place, like, I, I'm i interested in those, yeah, those, like, practical kind of, um, and the, the nitty-gritty of, like, how language works and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so interesting. Those questions of fluency, like, it's only ever happened to me once, and that was in Latin, which was absolutely useless, <laughs> you know, where I read something, and, yeah, I, I got that main line to understanding it without the translation stuff. It's really interesting. I was at a conference um, over the weekend um, with a lot of people from Japan, and several of the um actually there was almost a whole day of um presentation on okinawa um literature like there's this really interesting um sort of interest in studying the the literature Mm. that's come out of there and the literature that's come out of the okinawa experience which i think you know is different you know very different from mainland And, and and was really interesting sort of transposing onto music like Tina Makariti talked and it was that interesting idea of you know Rikauhu you know like Chatham's versus New Zealand and this idea of Okinawa it was really interesting yeah because they're very interesting because like physically and geography they're actually closer to China than they are to Japan and so there is a big uh, Chinese influence which is in this poem the tombs are they have these tombs that aren't in mainland Japan and they are from a Chinese influence. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have their own language mm-hmm. and and they're very proudly Okinawan. Mm. Um, and, and they're like, we're not Japanese, we're Okinawan. Yes. Um, but that's come out of an experience of feeling like, I, I gather that, you know, feeling that sense of they're not Japanese, they're not Chinese. And, and sometimes feeling that kind of, you know, that exclusion, I suppose, um, 
so it's a very interesting place and and yeah like I guess that in hindsight having at first felt disappointed that I was yeah. going to Okinawa yeah. uh, it's one of the best experiences in that way because not many people like that's a very unusual yes. place yeah. to visit yeah. and and let alone live in and and so that was a, a real kind of um that was my blessing really yeah, yeah. god it sounds amazing now one of the other sorry. i mean i cried a lot so yeah yeah it well, also I mean, wasn't amazing at times that you know i cry a lot I at think, home uh, so you know i mean wouldn't you rather be somewhere interesting and crying i don't yeah, know i think know. it's just like that's a not specific to okinawa that's just like a 22 year old with not a clue what she's doing in a foreign country so i totally yeah i think yeah i think i was 22 crying all the way up k road so you know yeah oh, it's a difference now i also ah oh, my goodness I, I think I've given us poems that we can't read. No, I was thinking about this this morning. <laughs> I, was, I was loving it because, okay, so I know the poem you're talking about, which is Best Actress in a Supporting yes. Role, right? Yes. Um, Have you read it? So what I tried reading it this morning. So to explain <coughs> for the purposes of a podcast, this is like essentially almost a whole page of the word wife repeated over and over. So I tried reading it this morning because I was like, I actually think this would be a cool performance piece. But I would not make your audience endure that. Um, but I think at a reading, it might it might be cool. Um, but anyway, I think I've worked out a way I can read it, okay. which is to read down a row to give you that, that great feeling idea. of like this overwhelming amount of words, but to not you know talk for like five minutes <laughs> saying the same word. Um, okay, so I'll read this one. Best actress in a supporting role. Wife, 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 wife. But in the end, I have to be the one who shouts all those bad words down the telephone. I have to be the one who goes to the jail to spit at the glass. Didn't know you had it in you. Well, you never asked. Oh, it's such a great poem. Um, yeah, so obviously it's more of a visual poem, like this, you know, this huge block text of just the word wife repeated. But, but it works really well out Yeah, loud. I mean, I was like, it would be fun to read, like, the whole thing, but, yeah. Because I love the way, um, like, I do, like, you do get that weird visual game where you like turn the page and you're like whoa yeah. and you know like you read it as a block you read it as like I start reading all the FEs and you know like it's just and I think that some of that is captured in the reading like the way that the F starts to follow into the yeah, double, you, you know like, this, like lisp or something when yeah. you're reading it and um, it almost ends up like a fife and yeah it's just I just think it's marvellous and then of course you know your wonderful intervention at the bottom of the page is just so marvellous yeah like, well I mean I wanted it I didn't want you know the the huge amount of the repeating word to be like gratuitous like I wanted it to actually have a purpose and obviously that purpose is kind of a comment on the types of roles that women are offered in movies (laughs) um so this poem came about from watching this movie that probably not that many people have seen it's called true story and it stars Jonah Hill and James Franco I don't think I've seen it, but I need to. Uh, well, being, um, I don't know if you need to, but I'm quite I, obsessed with James Franco. I saw it. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> in a I, bad way. Oh, okay. Not in a you know like oh I think he's great. I'm oh, kind of like okay. what's he up to <laughs> now? <laughs> yeah, because he does write poetry, doesn't he? Yes. So yes, he does. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I do love Jonah Hill. I think he's yep. fantastic. Um, so I did want to watch this movie for that. Um. But yeah, so basically, I mean, I won't go too much into the premise, but there is a journalist that Jonah Hill is playing um, who gets caught up with this criminal who's currently in prison uh, waiting for his trial. I mean, not at that point, I guess not a proven criminal, but he's being accused of murdering his wife and three children. Uh, and so Jonah Hill's character is trying to like explore his guilt, basically. Mm, mm. Um, and... So Felicity Jones, who she was in that uh, Theory of Everything movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah I yeah, think yeah. that's her. Um, she plays also playing a wife. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she plays Jonah Hill's wife, the the journalist's wife. But actually, in real life, uh, so this is based on a true true story. Um, and so the 
the real person's name is Jill Barker, and she's a maths professor. Um, and I think at the time, maybe she, I mean, she, I can't really remember what she's doing, whether she was like studying or just doing academic work, but she's always like, you know, at the university or whatever. But every time they flick to her, yeah, it's just like this nondescript, like, what is she doing? Um, and yeah, just like she is this guy's rock. Like while he's like his writing career is just like flailing all over the place, and he's doing these crazy things like persisting on talking to mm. this this guy in jail. She's the one who's like having to hold it all together, but it focuses on her so little. It's like what's her experience of this like? I have no idea from this movie. Um, but in the end she's the one who tells uh this guy whose real name is christian longo who franco is playing she tells him like you know she's the one with the you know she goes and she says like basically i know you did it and you're foul kind of thing and and whereas like the journalist character feels that but won't say it like Mm -hmm. he feels that this guy is guilty and and then yes he is convicted and things like that but she's the one who who actually says it and I'm like that's so like they do that in the movie they you know they have this scene this very confronting scene where she challenges him about it um but up until then she's just like this nothing character like and I'm like she's having to endure all of this like what is her experience like and there's just no focus on that at all so yeah that was kind of where this came and it, it's not specific to that movie you know no it unfortunately all the time. so <laughs> so that was kind of the comment on on that one and yeah i was interested in instead of saying all of that mm. what would be a, a way that i could show that visually and in an interesting kind of form um to get that across so mm. so that is how that happened but yeah it does make for an interesting live reading yeah <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to that live reading <laughs> yeah we'll see <laughs> and then the last one i asked you to read is another one i i don't know no, what i was thinking like i just i just loved it so much i just yeah you talk about this you now have okay. to it's almost like those you know those people that do oral description for sight impaired people at the ballet like <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel like I've given you that task okay. which is tough well I'll just one. read it to yeah. start with let's it, read it it won't take long <laughs> reminders for December cut dig gather heal in lift protect um Okay, so I found this uh, this really tatty copy at a book fair, I think, uh, of a book that I wrote down called The Vegetable Garden Displayed. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a... a and it's like from... <laughs> Sorry. Nine, no, yeah, it's just such a great... The Vegetable yeah, Garden it's uh, like printed in 1942 um, and it's very much like an instructional, like here's how to do some gardening stuff. And I'm a terrible gardener, so I wouldn't know anyway. But... I was just kind of flicking through that and there, I think there was one section, a very like practical section about how to plant a particular thing. Mm. I can't even remember what it was. Um, and so I just lifted words out of there. The The title is what that section was called. So mm. it's obviously like something you plant in December in the UK. Or, mm. um, and But I just thought that was... Uh, really interesting to... Uh, first of all, I... Yeah, so to explain, it's one word per page over six pages mm. which is kind of like a pretty ridiculous thing to do but as I talked about at the courtier I have a very kind publisher who <laughs> didn't even like question that and I'm like that's amazing that you can have this vision for what you want to do and they'll just go with that mm. um so I liked in the book I liked um it kind of feels like it slows things down, mm, uh, mm. which is good. And I like isolating those words because I feel like that gives them more weight and, and yeah, like make ask you to think about those words and what they mean. And, and for me, it was about taking these very like kind of practical instructions and transposing it to, in my mind, it's transposing it to like, um, a, uh, like applying it to a person. So mm-hmm. like, um, you know, how might you heal yourself? Uh, either you know, like whether that's 
following a breakup or whether you're just not feeling very good, how would you give yourself directions on, mm. on how to feel better mm, mm. or how to protect yourself mm. uh, from, you know, the world or something like that? So, um, yeah, like that idea of like, you know, gather, th- you know, gather and, and lift and protect. And, yeah, I found that very interesting when kind of, trans- as you say, transposing that to um, to a more personal kind of perspective. Mm, mm. And I think what, what I mean, <clears throat> this is probably, well, this is just my experience of it. When the words are isolated, and in the same way, weirdly, that happens with Best Actress in a Supporting Role, I started to look at the shape of them as well. You know right. what I mean? They started to stand for, they sort of started to stand for their shape and their sort of like, I don't know how to explain it. They became objects or something, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And it's so interesting that it's gardening because I didn't, I didn't go to gardening, right. but now I realise how stupid, you know, of course it's gardening. Right. But yeah, yeah. And I like that I'm also, one thing I have been interested in for a long time and you see that in miniature village as well is with that phrase quiet is the grave i think we get used to things and we don't notice them so like whether that's a saying or just a word like cut or dig like when you actually look at those things it's like what do those mean and 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 that sort of thing especially yeah like with phrases that you know are like just general sayings like when you actually Mm. look at what those are it's like well how did we get there um so i think yeah with reminders for december it was about you know isolating those words and and once you do that you're right like people kind of look at them in maybe a new way Mm. or you know a chance to reanalyze those words Mm. and things and it makes them unusual which i think is so great you know like i think they're not unusual words no and and i just it was interesting because that quiet is a grave thing like that's it's sort of this is what i mean just going back to the rankin book about how you know a poem can change things you know like when I can't ever use that phrase again, you know what I mean? Like, when I right. use that phrase, the whole weight of this poem, I just love it. I just love the way you can do that. Hey, just to finish off, because yes. this has been fantastic, thank you so much, can you talk a little bit about the cover illustration and the title that you've given to this collection? Sure. Would um, that be okay? Yeah, so the title is from, there's a, a poem in the book that shares the same title, and that, you know, I wrote the poem and that's where it came from. Um, So the poem goes, no one can imagine how bad things must be. They sprout in the dark, damp folds of my mind. They grow there, a forest of tiny umbrellas. They flourish, a crown of terrible heads. And I don't think we were going to talk about this poem, but I will. Um, Because that's the same thing. So that phrase, no one can imagine how bad things must be. So uh, someone, actually my partner knew uh, committed suicide and and it was a very obviously a very sad situation um they yeah like had young children and things and I I don't know like that phrase just sprung to mind and it springs to mind for a lot of people and and I was just interested in like what does that mean like yeah like how bad things must be and and so taking obviously taking the bad things part is is its own its Mm. own kind of thing out Mm. of that um rather than like bad being a descriptor for the thing so Mm. so that's kind of where the title came from but it seemed to speak to like there's a lot of crappy stuff and going on in this book i mean the poems have come from like kind of crappy experiences or things not just for me but like we talked about you know the idea of like microaggressions that might have you know bad outcomes for other people um or like uh you know um there's a lot of obviously like uh there's poems about the refugee crisis things like that so Mm. there's it, it spoke to a lot of um the content of the book i suppose and also i thought I mean, it's kind of stupid to call your own book bad things because I was like, well, I'm kind of like getting ahead of the critics, right? Because like I've already said it's bad, so what can, what more can you say? See, this is, I just think I just think it's a genius title. I just I so love it because it just it sits so nicely. Like just this idea of bad things. It's like yeah, bad things, you know. Yeah. Like, and and also I started uh, thinking of that nineteen. 
Hades is kind of like bad, you know, like right, bad, right, right, which means good, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what um, about this illustration? I love this. I love this cover illustration. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't. So water kept water and sea kept coming up a lot in the poems, like it just as something that just started appearing as like a bit of a pattern, and I honestly don't know why I thought of this but I, I had this very particular vision for that this is what I wanted mm. and that stayed with me f- like for a long time and also so I have a friend um Kim Andrews who is a children's book illustrator she also runs a business called Tumbleweed mm. Tees mm. uh, and so she illustrates um, native New Zealand birds um and I had just always imagined her doing this illustration so it I at the point where I had to actually ask her to do it, I was like, I hope you do this because like it yeah, won't it I won't work else. Yeah. any other way. <laughs> like if so, if I, I can't ask anybody else to do it because I've already imagined what it will look like when you do it, and so it was really interesting because I sent her the description in words for mm. what I want because I can't draw, and so I described it what I wanted, and she got that and I and that was what was in my mind and I'm just oh like amazed gosh. by like how how that can you know again like that's the idea of like the gap and understanding yeah but in this case it worked mm. <laughs> you know there was no gap it was perfect so because yeah. I was just thinking that's a game that we sometimes play you know like sometimes in workshops and teaching we sometimes play where people sit back to back mm. with a picture and they have to explain it and I just think God, that's such a great story. And it's such a perfect image. Like, when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, cute. And then I was like, yeah. oh, rising water. And oh, well, you know, and like, I, in the dark. And yeah, yeah. it's just so clever I the way wanted, that it, um, yeah. Kim to do it because I knew, like, her style is, you know, illustrating for children's books. Um, and I thought that was a great contrast with, like, the title. And, well, not so much the title because when you have that kind of children's, like, illustration with the title, it kind of is like, ooh, bad things. Like, yeah. you know, scary, <laughs> scary kids book. Um, but it definitely contrasts with like the actual content of the poem so I like that I like that play oh, I just I'm so glad I just am so grateful for Victoria University Press for many reasons but just to give you that kind of control because absolutely. I just think that it adds so much to the book absolutely I can't I couldn't imagine working with a publisher who kind of you know you might suggest this and they would say well that's not really the feel we're going for like I mean it's so crucial to you know not just the cover but like you know your vision for you know say with reminders for bad things if they'd said look uh we don't really want to spare the space so we'll just put them all on the one page or (laughs) you know cut costs or something and I just I can't imagine like that's that's integral to like what you're trying to create you Mm. have this uh vision and certainly like I mean Ashley's amazing with her editing like um definitely things she has suggested I've taken on board um willingly because they make the poems better Mm. but in terms of like you know like I say what you're this whole thing that you're trying to create and what you want it to say if there's something infringing on that I that would be very Mm. hard to handle as Mm. a writer I think Mm. So, no, it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. It's such a great book. Is there anything else? Have I forgotten anything? I think anything? we covered it. I was you like, wow, rock. we're being way too ambitious with what we're going to talk about. I think we've got really, we, we rock, man. We rock. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pip. Have a good day.